Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? I want you to turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter four. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, just say thank you uh, for those of you that, that, that are here that braved the, the uh, crazy weather of Idaho from 90 degrees to 40 degrees this morning. Welcome to Idaho. Here's where we are. But I'm, I, th- this is always a special time of year, Memorial Day weekend. And while I hope you have an incredible day tomorrow, we do remember the sacrifice of those who have served so that we can be free. But we also take this opportunity to remember those who we love, who've been part of our church family that are not with us at this point. And, uh, you know, t- tomorrow I would just say this. If you have, as you're having your quiet time with God, maybe to start the day, just spend some time praying with those who have gone through loss this season that God would be especially close. Now, we've been in this series, and it's hard to believe that we're finishing the, the series through Jonah today. I've, I've enjoyed this, I think, as much as anybody. And, um, you know, as we, as we jump into Jonah chapter 4, I, I got a quick question. How many of you had a sibling that you fought with a lot? Let me see your hands. Oh, man. Wow. Bunch of fighters. Uh, this is great. I, I'm, I'm at the right place. Well, I did too. My brother, a couple years younger than me, and... And there were times that, uh, that we would get in trouble for doing something, you know? We were all, and it, we just could not help. We both knew which buttons to, to push, and we would just be getting into it. And there was nothing that warmed my heart greater than when, in the middle of one of these moments, my brother got caught. I loved it. Even if I was the one that started it, and I, but, but they saw him and he got busted. I'm like, oh yeah, he's got it coming. And dad would march him to a room and I knew, there, I knew that there was punishment to be had. And so I would just hang outside the door and dad, is, dad would you know, shoo me away and, and, and he'd close the door and then I'd go into a room right next door. This is how messed up I am. I was just waiting to hear him get what I knew he deserved. And you know, it would, have been, it would have been much to my chagrin if he and dad would have ever walked out of that room after me hearing chuckling. They walk out, arm in arm, big wide smiles, and I watch my dad give him a $20 bill. I'd be ticked. Like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's not right. I'm here for the show, man. Take him out, dad. Give him what he's got coming to him. I'm a terrible person, but you know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I want you to think of that as, as we jump into Jonah chapter four. This, this, this guy, Jonah, he was a prophet. He's called a man of God, but yet when God called him to go to Nineveh, he ran the other direction. Why? Because he hated Nineveh. Hated the people of Nineveh. They represented for him everything that is wrong with this world. And when God said, I want you to go there, he did not go there, he went that way. In fact, as we saw a few weeks ago, he went about as far away as you could get in the known world or he was headed that direction trying to get away from where God was calling him. But God would not let his man go. He turned him around. He used a fish. He'll use all kinds of things to turn his people around and he sent him back. And we know we've been looking at what took place. Jonah finally submitted to the the call of God to do what he had been called to do. He proclaimed a message. And I would even say to, to his chagrin, the people responded to the message he preached. He was one guy that gave an altar call and he did not want to have anybody come forward. But they repented. In fact, what we see at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, is that when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this 
ticked Jonah off. Look at chapter four, verse one. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? God, this is why I ran. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O God, please take my life for me. What a drama queen. Take my life for me for it is better for me to die than to live. I'm like, come on, what is going on here? Really what Jonah's saying, he's ticked. He's like, God, I don't understand why you let them off the hook. God, have you seen what they're doing over there? God, have you been seeing what's going on in, in Nineveh, Assyria? These are some bad dudes. God, take them out. I don't understand your love. God, you're loving the wrong people. And I'm gonna tell you right now, God, if this is how you're gonna love, just take my life. I'm done, I'm out of here. Check, I'm checking out. I mean, he's, he's dramatic. Well, God responds with a question that he's gonna ask Jonah a couple of times. In verse four, the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's a good question. For any of us that find ourselves in the place of Jonah, and I don't know who the Ninevites are in your life, but you don't like to see them receive grace. You don't appreciate it when they receive love. Have you seen what they've done? And God says, do you do well to be angry? Well, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Literally, he's doing what I did when I went into the next room trying to hear what was going on. He's just like, maybe, maybe God's still gonna, gonna send fire from heaven. Maybe it's, maybe it's gonna be good, but no, God wasn't gonna do anything to Nineveh, but he had a few lessons to teach Jonah. What we see in verse six, it says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And here we go again. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, like... Yeah, it's kind of funny when it's a little kid being dramatic. When it's an adult, it's like, come on, dude. Jonah's saying, God, I don't understand your love. But, but, but here's what God, in essence, is responding back to Jonah. Jonah, I don't, I don't understand your love, your lack of love. Do you do well to be angry? Because it's interesting is what we've seen in this series is that Jonah believed in love in a general, in, in a general way. But, but he had a flawed understanding of God's love and how he thought that God's love should operate. And, and you know, I, I'm telling you, man, we can, we can dig and pile on Jonah, what a terrible guy this is. But, but there are times we find ourselves in this same situation. And so I, I just wanna talk just for the next few minutes to those of you that you are wrestling with Somebody, uh, Pastor Will calls them EGR people, extra grace required people. I guarantee this morning there is an individual in your life that there's just, there's just that rub 
Man, I think there's something critical that we can learn over the next few minutes because the whole point of the rest of this chapter is God coming to Jonah and saying, Jonah, I ask you, you asked me a question. Now I'm going to give you an answer. And what we're going to see is that God's love, it's, it's like a fire. It's like a fire. You know, uh, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12, 29, I, I like this description of God. He said, he said, our God is like a consuming fire. That's what he is. Our God is a consuming fire. Now, here, here's a few things I know about a fire. In the right co context, a fire is comforting. But then there are other contexts in which it can be discomforting. There are times in, in which fire can be a good thing in, in the sense that it's warming. We think that's good, but there can also be times in which a fire is painfully dangerous. But when I, when I say that, that God's love is like a fire, what we see is as we close out the series and we look at this final chapter, and, and Matt did such a good job of looking at what, what it looks like and looking at us and our response today, I want to look at God and, and his love. The, when I talk about his love being a fire, there are two aspects of this that I want us to catch. First of all, God's love is, is a fire that refines. God's love is refining. It, it, it won't give us warmth and, and life without at the same time purifying us and refining us. When, when God's love is, is coming to a person and resting upon a person, it transforms us and, and it at times painfully burns away these things. It will not let us alone. And what I know about, about God is that his love will not flow through us until his love has changed us. And so this is what I'm talking about. His, his love is, is like a refining fire. And so we, we, we see God sending his fiery love to Jonah. And, and what, what we see in the, these verses that I just read, and we're going to keep reading here in a second, it's not comforting here. It's, it's discomforting. In fact, in verses six through eight, we find this, this phrase three times, God appointed. God appointed, God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a scorching wind. Now, now at first, Jonah loved what God appointed. God appointed a, a plant that, that gave him shade. Now, I know that we have some here uh, that are here that you, you've served in the Middle East. I've talked to some of you, and, and uh, you, you said, man, there is no heat like the heat that some of you served over in Iraq, which is where Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh, would be present-day Iraq, where, you know, it gets hot over 120 degrees. I've, some of you are telling me about this. And then when a wind, when a dust storm blows through, it's just like you're in a furnace, it's a scorching wind. Listen, Jonah loved it when he had built this little booth and he, he, he thought he's gonna watch just in case God would send down fire and instead God appointed a few things for him. Now, now Jonah loved the shade, but not only did God appoint comfort, but then he also appointed a little worm, an agricultural disaster to show up and take care of things. And, and then we see God uh, appointing a nasty weather pattern. And what this did was it brought discomfort into Jonah's life. Now, I just want to pause here because this whole idea, God appointed, is speaking of God's providence. Now, when we talk about God's providence, I'll guarantee that the first thing that comes to your mind is not, man, I am so glad I lost my job. Man, I am so glad that I got that flat tire. I am so 
so glad that, no, we don't think of the bad things. When we're, when we're thinking about and, and giving praise to God for his providence, we're talking about the things that make sense to us in this present moment. And many times the, we, we call things bad that might just be good things because in the moment, none of us know whether or not in the term of eternity, this situation is good or bad. And many times we have ascribed to bad what God is actually meaning for our good. Because God will even use times of discomfort to prepare us for where he's going to take us. God will use this fiery refining process to do a work in us before he does a work through us. And there are times we don't like that because if, if I'm just gonna be honest, it's, it's a, I enjoy being comfortable more than I enjoy being uncomfortable. I enjoy being in a comfort zone, getting outside of that comfort zone. I don't like pain, you don't either, but what if church, what if God is doing something in your life and, and, and in my life and he's preparing us for where he's taking us? And so I just wanna pause right now. If you find yourself in a season that does not make sense and, and maybe you're, you're tempted to ask, did I sin? What did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? Maybe you're calling punishment what is actually preparation. Maybe you're saying this has to be for my bad where God says, no, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone because I'm not done with you. I'm not, I have not called you to get your act together and to come only on a Sunday morning service and you sit in a seat and you look all holy and spiritual and you sing a few songs and go out and talking about, oh, what a powerful message that was. No, maybe he's wanting you to get a little grass on your uniform and he wants to put you in the game, but he's gonna take you to practice before he puts you in the game. Oh, that'll preach right there. I'm telling you, man, I'm feeling it this morning. This is good. God's love is refining in the providence of God, not just the things we call blessings in the moment, but God's divine work, his providence is a means by which his refining love is displayed. God's providence, report, it refers to the way that God appoints and orders our lives, not just the comfortable times, but we've got to understand that it's not just the shade that brings transformation. It's also the worm and the wind. And there are times that we could even be resisting and fighting God and running from God when God's trying to do a work in us. You know, Pastor Jason, who he's our campus pastor over Middleton, showed up late to one of our, uh, we, we were, uh, we do our sermon planning on Tuesdays. The whole team comes together and he was late. And he came, comes in, he's like, you will never believe what happened to me. Which, here's the deal. I'm starting to believe anything because Jason is one of those guys, if anything weird's gonna happen, it happens to him. Like, crazy stuff. He has, he has put out two house fires or at least been part of it. And, and I'm like, who does that? Like, first of all, don't be his neighbor because your house is gonna catch on fire. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> But Jason showed up and he's like, man, he said, you will not believe what was happening. He said, I was on my way here. And he said, oh, uh, the, the last stoplight before you go out of Middleton and get on the interstate, he said, I was at a stop. And he, saw, he said, I saw this car, this car and it was just going really slow, but it was starting to pick up speed. And I, could, and I looked in my rear view mirror and I'm like, this car is gonna hit me. 
And I look and, and I see a lady slumped over the steering wheel. And I'm like, somebody's having, a, she, she's had a medical emergency. And so he puts his car in park. He jumps out and, and the car is now, it, he said it barely missed my, uh, you know, the side of my car and it's starting to go off the road. And he takes off running. He, he opens, he grabs the door. Fortunately, it's unlocked. He opens the door and he said, as soon as I open the door, I realized she was not having a medical emergency. She was wasted. He said the fumes and just the alcohol was crazy. And she slumped over, has a lit cigarette in her hand. And he's like, and so he somehow reaches in. He, he I don't even know how he did it, but he somehow he got the, he got the, uh, the car into, into park. It comes to a stop and he pulls over. She's now waking up and he, he takes the keys out of, of the car. She starts swinging at him. He said, she's scratching me. And he said, it got so, she literally took the cigarette and is flicking ash at me, trying to get me away, screaming, you can't do this to me. You can't take my keys. And he said, ma'am, he said, I'm calling the police. You're not okay. She said, don't call the police. That's the last thing you need to do. He's like, I'm calling the police. He called the police. And he said, they were there in just a matter of minutes. He threw him the keys and he said, you've got her. He said, that lady was furious. He said, literally, she kept on trying to swing at me because in her mind, he's doing something that's damaging her. Actually, what Jason was doing was keeping her from tragedy either to herself or potentially to someone else. He, she didn't understand in her condition at the time that, that what Jason was doing for her good. She was not saying thank you to him. I mean, how many times have your kids thanked you for disciplining them? Parent, mom, dad, I just want you to know, I appreciate <laughs> how you, in sternness, exercise discipline on my rear end. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody's doing that, you know what I'm saying? But yet God, in his grace at times, is bringing discomfort, not for our bad, but for our good. And when Paul wrote those incredible words we put on t-shirts and it hangs in houses and, and wall art and that sort of thing, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. He wasn't saying everything is working for your comfort because many times what you call a blessing is a distraction. No, he is working all things according to our good, our eternal good. But not only, can I say this, our eternal good, but the, for the fact that we can make a difference where we are now. God's love is a refining fire that is transforming us. And a few weeks ago, somebody told me a story, and I can't remember who it is. I'd love to give you credit. It's somebody in one of our services, can't remember who it was, told me a story about two lumberjacks in the Pacific Northwest. There was a region, and in this particular region, they had to take down every single tree. They came to the first tree and, and they looked up and a, a, a mother bird was making a nest in that tree. And so they knew the tree had to come down. And so they took the flat of the ax and, and hit it against the tree. The tree vibrated and it made it uncomfortable for the, the mother bird. So she flew to the next tree. Well, that tree's coming down too. So they went over there and, and hit the side of that tree. It vibrated and, 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 and it went from like five or six Trees, this happened. And I man, can you imagine that? The bird's like, are you kidding me right now? This is overwhelming. I can't buy a break. Some of you get what I'm talking about. Right now, you think God's got it out for you because you can't buy a break. It's been one thing after another. 
And you're like, oh, is God angering me? No, no, he's moving you from tree to tree because you see, it was when the bird finally gave up on the tree and, and landed on a rock and started to make the nest in the rock that the lumberjacks made along because they knew that where the bird needed to be for safety and stability and for the well-being of, of what was to come was on the rock, not in the tree because the trees are coming down. And sometimes God knows there are trees that need to come down in our lives and he is actually moving us, making us uncomfortable, not to break us, to harm us, but to prepare us. You see, what God does, I believe, is that he looks at us like the lumberjacks. He knows what we don't know. And he says, you desire, you, you think you desire good in your life? I desire for you more than you desire for you. I see in you more than what you see in you. Someday, I want you to become a person that, that if you could even comprehend it, that's the person you would want to be. I want to develop a person of integrity. I want to develop a person of, of character, of generosity, of integrity, of, of compassion. A person who is willing to leave the comfort to be used by me. I want to transform you. A life that counts, that's what I want for you. And yet we're like, why is the tree vibrating? Does God hate me? No, he's preparing us. You see, God's love is like a refining fire. It's preparing, transforming, but ultimately God's love is a life-giving fire, providing warmth. And this is where we come back to Jonah chapter four. Jonah said, oh, it's better for me that I should die. Verse nine, God said to Jonah, here we go again, that same question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? <laughs> Jonah's like, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And then it ends. Like, I mean, you talk about an abrupt, that, that is not like if you're writing a book, everybody's gonna hate your book. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 How's the story end? What does Jonah do? How does Jonah respond? I want to know the answer to this question. But I wonder if this ends the way that it ends. Because God is asking that question, not just of Jonah but he's asking that question of every single person that's reading, every single person that is so caught up in, in, in the injustice of, of what they see around them. The person that's, that's, that's so angry at, at this group of people or this group of people, and God's saying, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. I almost get this picture of, of, of God. It's, it's almost like the father getting down to the little child that's having a meltdown, grabbing their, cupping their face between the, the hands and saying, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, Jonah, look at me. Look at me. You are wanting them to receive something I could have given you. Jonah's like, yeah, but they're rebels. Well, wait, yeah, they are, but hold on a second, Jonah. When I called you to go, where'd you go? Well, I, I ran, but I had good, no, no, no. You're a rebel. Yeah, but, but man, don't you know what they've done? They've, they've hurt a lot of people. Hold on, Jonah. What about you? 
Where are you? you? You know, it's so easy for us to see everything else, why this person shouldn't receive grace and love. Well, listen, let's be honest. As much as we talk and sing about grace, we are so hardwired in earning. Grace is the opposite of earning. Grace is outrageous. Grace makes us angry. How could you do this, God? While at the same time, God is pouring out grace after grace on our life. There's not a person in this room that is here by accident. There's not a person in this room who has been saved, who has been redeemed, who has been transformed, who has been rescued, who has not encountered the grace of God. And what is going on here is that Jonah is displeased with what pleases God. Jonah is wanting to withhold from the Ninevites what, what God was not withholding from him. Jonah is angry. He's territorial about God's love. And missing the whole point that at the end of the day, based on performance, there's no difference when it comes to earning between him and any other person in Nineveh. God's been transforming my heart. I've been asking this question. When I look at what God weeps over, what do I weep over? When I look at what God cares for, what do I care for? When I look at what God loves, what do I love? Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it personal here as, as we close, because I'm gonna, you know, when Tony asked how many of you have appreciated the series and whatever, I, this series has not gone where I thought it was gonna go. Um, we, we have our idea and we put it out there, but, but God's taken this a, a different direction and, and it's weird because I think he's actually done it for me as much as anybody. And April 2nd, 2019, it was a Tuesday. I've got it written in my journal. I had, it was 2.30 in the morning, two, it was 2.30, 3.30, something like that. I, I, I still to this day, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision, but it was so vivid where God showed up. And he asked me a question. The question that was just in my, like it was resonating, I couldn't get it out of my head, was, Keith, do you think I called you to be the pastor, to be a comfortable pastor of a growing church, or do you think I called you and this church to be part of what it means and looks like to reach our city? And literally, he gave me a vision of people. I had people. I, I don't even know them. I saw faces. I saw, I saw people that had no connection to Jesus. People that were far, and I watched that there were people driving right by these individuals, and nobody stopped. Nobody saw them. People drove by and they went to a church and they sat, they sat in pews and they sang songs and they went home and felt good because they did some religious things. 
God's, God clearly said, I've called you to something bigger than being a comfortable pastor. And man, I can't get away from that. And I'll be honest with you, I still don't totally know what it means. But that's what birthed what has become what we're calling the Grace Center. It's going to be launching this fall. And I know I've talked about it here and there. And you're going to be hearing more about it. But we begin to pray, what's this look like? And as I begin to talk to our board and our staff and then like all kinds of people that some of you are here today, what I, heard, what I started hearing was that God's doing the same thing for other people. He's, he's doing this like stirring. He's, he's calling us out of this. It's this refining part of, of love, which he's, he's burning away just being comfortable. He's burning away just coming and just filling a seed. He's actually stirring us and calling us and kicking us from comfortable, from building nests and trees, and he's taking us somewhere. So we begin to pray, and we knew that we're going to start with Grace Family and Grace Counseling. We're launching those two ministries, and you'll be hearing more about this this, this fall. But we started looking for a place, and this is the weirdest thing. I want, I want Mark Taylor. It's good, so good to have Mark and Talisha Taylor here. Mark and I have served a ministry. He was, when I came here as a youth pastor years ago in 04, when I couldn't preach, he followed up with great games so the kids still at least had a good time. But uh, here, let me grab these chairs. Um, Mark, it just seems like in a weird sort of way, Mark's life and my life, we've been great friends, but we just keep interacting and God keeps on throwing us together. And it's a good thing, because I love this guy. So we were praying, what's, what's this look like? God, where are you calling us? And, and man, you, some of you know, we were praying for location. And God called us to a place, or I should say God opened the door to a place that has a very unique story that kind of goes with what God's calling. And Mark, I called Mark here to share the story because he played a really important part. Share about this, this house that you guys bought and the whole story behind that. Well, last year... Uh July timeframe, my wife and I decided we were ready to uh, invest in a property. So we called my brother and said, hey, if you've got anything out there, um, we're looking to purchase something to invest in. And, and he told me about this place. He said, I, I went once, Mark, but he said, it's, it's terrible. He said, I walked through, take some pictures. He said, you can go buy it. He said, I'm not going to go back in it again. It's so bad. He said that I, I will not take you through the home. But he said, um, it, you know, if you want something that you can fix up, I've got a place for you. Um, so I drove by it a few times, looked at the pictures, thought, yeah, I guess, you know, my wife and I talked, I guess we, let's take on a project. We might be stupid, but let's take on a project. <laughs> so we purchased it. We had not been in the house until the day we exchanged uh, keys or we received the keys. And when we opened the door, the overwhelming disaster that you're seeing in these pictures and the odor um, was unbelievable. Um, I think if we would have had a chance to back out, we probably would have yeah. at the time. But there were uh, around 15 to 12 cats and 15 to 12 chihuahuas in the home. There's no um, grass outside, so they just use the house for their, their bathroom. And it was horrendous. The, the ammonia odor was so bad. We had to wear gas masks. For six weeks, we uh, filled container after container and hauled to the dump. Um, and, and I actually know how to catch a cat, Keith. I know you love oh, cats, yeah. but I know how no, to catch them okay. now okay. because there was a feral cat yeah. living in the home. Um, but 
the amazing thing about that, my kids helped me with it, and there was times where I'd have to say, let me take care of that room or this or that. The, the filth of, of life that was in there, of sin, Keith, that yeah. was overwhelming, the drugs, the pornography, the disgust, the, uh, you know, the, the humans decided they would use it for their facilities too instead of walking to the restrooms. Um, it was just horrendous. And the story, that's not the glamour of the story. What, the, the thing I think as I worked through that, we were just going to flip it. We're like, let's just flip it. My wife bought some stuff called Angry Orange. We dumped all over in that thing trying to cover up the odor, which is so typical of us humans, right? Yeah. To cover up the sin in that home. But I, there was times where I would leave the house covered in nasty dust from, from this. Um, and I'd call my wife and I'd say, man, I just feel, I feel disgusting. Um, my mind have, having to see what I've had to see and to pick up what I've had to pick up and to deal with the disgust of that. I felt sin in every avenue of, of the emotion, the, the filth of my eyes had to see in the emotion of it. And, um, but working through that, um, working through the city, taking a long time, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm like, well, God, man, I'm trying to get this thing done. What is taking so long? Not knowing, not having an idea that grace yeah. was going to be needing a place. And I had this in mind for one of my employees to rent it. I just thought, well, we'll just rent it out. Um, it's right on 12, so it made me nervous for his family. But I thought, oh, well, you know, it's a place for him to live. As you guys know, it's hard to buy places right now. And so my employees are having a hard time finding places to rent cheap enough. But um, as I started working through that towards the end, as, as we started transforming that, and I just felt God saying, I, I want that better. Um, and I'm pretty picky about things being right, but I, I would be working in a closet and think, oh, that'll be in a closet. It doesn't matter much. And I'd feel since God saying, but this is for me. I want that better. And um, about two months ago, my dad called me and he said, hey, Grace is looking for a place and they're having a hard time finding a place that fits them. Do you know of anything? He said, is that house that you're fixing up um, have you rented it? And I said, kind of, but, you know, God's been talking to me as I'm working in here, so let's talk about it. Tony came over, looked at the place, said, man, this is absolutely perfect. Um, so, I mean, what, a, what an awesome opportunity, but what a, for me to work in that and God to be, you know, as I was praying, working in the home, just God telling me, we're going to do something different in here, Mark. Yeah. And um, there's people that come up and down that street all day long yeah. that are hurting and in pain. This house was so full of sin and disgust, Keith, that I, I, I didn't even understand. I was raised pretty protected, and I didn't understand. I had a gentleman after the first service come and talk to me, and he said, I lived in that for 10 years. He's from, he was in prison and everything else. He goes, you have no clue what idols were in that home that you didn't even understand. The sin that was going on in that home, but from tragedy to triumph. And that's what God yes. keeps telling me. is this yes. is from tragedy to triumph. Yes. God is going to use a place that was hosting drug dealers and, and prostitution and everything else that you can imagine out of this home. And he's going to take and heal lives yes. and change Nampa. There's people that said they drove up and down Nampa. It's right by Domino's on 12th Avenue there. They said, we never even knew the home was there. Was there. And isn't that the way we are as Christians sometimes? I know I am. I drive up and down the roads in this city, and I overlook the pain and the hurt sometimes yes. that is right in front of me. Yes. And this home is now going to be used for an opportunity of shining, a bright shining light right on a main stretch of Nampa. And we just get to be a minor part yes. of that. But God used that. People came to me and said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, at times I was like, what am I doing? I yeah. am crazy. But God had a plan. I got to be a small part of this, but I am so excited 
about Man. what grace is going to be doing at this place, the opportunities, the life-changing stuff that's going to happen there. Dude, it's, a, it's unbelievable. And, and I, Mark, I think the thing that I love the best about this whole story, and you're seeing the pictures of the, of the change, and we haven't even started furnishing it yet. Um, we're, we're still trying to f- you know, figure out what, where we're going to get it, what we're putting in it, and that sort of thing. The thing that stood out to me is that this home is going to be a story that mirrors somebody else's story. That in a weird sort of way, even the place that God has allowed us to launch and to land is actually, even in itself, something that comes from, from where people would say, let's just tear the thing down. Just tear it down. Throw it away. And yet God's using this. And my thing is, if this can happen to a house, can you imagine what God can do with a human life? What God could do in our city. We, we talked several weeks ago that the weirdest thing and that word exceedingly, this in, in, in Jonah chapter two, it's actually comes, it's, it's the, the root, it's that word Elohim, which is a, it's almost always used for God. It's the only place that, that, that says, it just says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, which, you know, what, what I can tell it's just a city that matters to God. Man, what, what if Nampa was a city, an exceedingly great city, a city that mattered to God. What, with, what, what if Caldwell, Middleton, Cuna were cities that mattered greatly to God? I, I don't know, guys. I, I think the whole point of this series, if I could summarize Jonah into two sentences, it would be f- number one, God loves people, whoever they are. But secondly, God loves and redeems people wherever they are. I mean, I don't even know. I, I didn't do this in the first service. For some reason, I just feel like I need to do this. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. But there might be somebody here today in, in your, your life, like if you were going to put a picture of your life, and maybe it'd be one of those pictures that we threw up on, on the screen and maybe in, just when it comes to you, you're, you're, you're like, man, my life isn't worth anything. Maybe the people around you, you, you don't see anything other than just get out of here. Listen, I'm telling you, God has been in the business of transforming throwaways for years and he's not done. And what God is calling us to is, is I, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be hearing, you're going to, uh, in probably the end of this month, it's taking me a little bit longer than what I thought, but, but uh, at the end of this month, we're going to be having vision nights where we're going to be sharing about what God's calling us to here. We're going to be sharing about grace counseling and grace medical and, and grace family and some of the cool things that are already preparing. We're going to give you opportunities to serve. All of that's coming down the road. But I just wonder if this whole series was a lot bigger than what I thought it was. It was just part of the preparation. He's making us uncomfortable. Even what we've gone through with COVID, all this sort of thing, what if he's just making us uncomfortable? Because God's love will always refine a person before he uses that person as a conduit for his love. And so Father, as we close this service, watch you what you're calling us to, and, and maybe I can't speak for everyone, but God, I sure know I can speak for myself. What you're calling me to is not a life that has everything to do with comfort and having so much money in the bank and having my kids go to the, these type of schools and, and having this, that, or the other, you know, for whatever. I, God, you're, 
you've been calling me out of my comfort zone and I don't always like it, God. I've even whined a few times like Jonah and you know it. But God, I know that you're doing this. I'm convinced of it, not for my pain, not for my punishment, but for my good. And God, I just have to believe if you're doing this for me in this season, there might just be somebody else in this room that you're doing this for as well. And so God, as we go from here, I'm praying that the lessons we've learned from Jonah would just continue to reverberate. Now God, that, that it would serve as a mirror that instead of looking at Jonah, and it's really easy to criticize a guy here on the pages of scripture and like, yeah, whatever. I, I can't believe he did that. I, I pray instead that Jonah would be a mirror that, ref, that just reveals our own hearts. And God, that the question that ends this book, the really abrupt question that ends this book would be a question that we wrestle with. Why should we be angry when you pity this great city in which you've placed us? God, instead of fighting what you're calling us to, I pray instead of being the runaway prophet, we'd be the prophet who runs to what you're calling us to and for what you're gonna continue to do in and through your people as we leave here in the next several days, weeks, months, and even years, I thank you for this. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for being here. Have a great Memorial Day. You're dismissed.